Welcome to Cast Conversations, a monthly podcast for school leaders by school leaders. Each of our episodes will engage practitioners and thought leaders in conversations about issues, ideas, and innovations relevant to today's busy educators. Hello, everyone. My name is Rosie O'Brien Wojtek, and I'm the current president for the Connecticut Association of Schools. Today, we're here at the CAS headquarters in Cheshire with the three recipients of the 2018 Connecticut Association of Schools Assistant Principal of the Year Award. The Assistant Principal of the Year program, sponsored annually by the Connecticut Association of Schools, was established in 1990 to bring recognition to the assistant principalship and to spotlight the critical role that assistant principals play in the education of our youth. The program recognizes outstanding school assistant principals who have succeeded in providing high-quality learning opportunities for students. These administrators have demonstrated excellent leadership, commitment to staff and students, service to their communities, and contributions to the overall profession of educational leadership. We're very fortunate to have all three recipients here at CAS with me today for this conversation. I'm going to begin by introducing each of our three assistant principals and having them briefly share who they are and their personal journey for how they became the assistant principal at their respective schools. So first I'd like to introduce Joseph Macrina from Lewin G. Joel Elementary School in Clinton. Joe was chosen for his integrity and ethical leadership, his energy and his focus on what is best for children. Superintendent Marianne O'Donnell describes him as an intelligent, articulate, passionate, student-centered educational leader who demonstrates talent, commitment, and character each and every day. Congratulations, Joe. Thank you very much. It's an honor. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your school, and how you became an assistant principal at Lewin G. Joel Elementary School. Well, I'm the very proud assistant principal at the Joel School, as we shorten it to. We're a pre-K through three school in Clinton, and we service about 500 students, just a little under right now. It's a wonderful place to work. I still catch myself whistling on the way in, (laughs) so I know I'm in a good spot. I guess when it comes to education, getting into the profession of education, I took the long road This is not my first career. I started out working in television for MTV and Saturday Night Live. But before I got into that, I substitute taught just to make some extra money, and it planted a seed that blossomed into this. Mm. Plus, it's kind of the family business. My father, who's one of my idols, he's been an administrator for quite some time, a veteran. So I've learned a lot from him, and it keeps me going. Great. So thank you. Next, I'd like to introduce Darlene Wallen, the assistant principal of John Reed Middle School in Reading, who has been named as a CAS Middle School Assistant Principal of the Year. Darlene's principal, Diane Martin, says, Darlene is at all times industriously engaged in efforts to promote student success, support staff in the classroom, and strengthen ties between home and school. Upon entering the school building and meeting Darlene, which is inevitable given her ubiquity, one is immediately struck by her love for her students and school community. Congratulations, Darlene. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your school, and how you became an assistant principal at John Reed Middle School. I started teaching right out of college, but I started my career as a math teacher at Scottacoke Middle School in New Milford. And while I was there, my assistant principal at the time encouraged me to go for my O92. He said, you're going to want to do this someday. So I listened to him, and I went for my 092, and while I was at New Milford still, I became the math department chair, and in that role, I got to observe other teachers, and that was my first taste of a leadership role, and I thought, I really enjoy this. I moved to Reading as a math teacher as well at John Reed Middle School, 
And within a few years, there was an opening for the assistant principal, and it was the perfect fit for me. I love the John Reed community, and so I wanted to stay there, and I've been in this role for 12 years. Wonderful. Thank you, Darlene. Our third special guest today is Joseph Massey, housemaster at Northwestern Regional High School in Winstead, who's been named the 2018 Cass High School Assistant Principal of the Year. Joe was selected for his all-in devotion to a school community, his students' first approach to building leadership, and his commitment always to improve a constructive enterprise. According to Superintendent Dr. Judy Palmer, Joe Massey is a passionate, wonderful role model with a tireless work ethic. He has abundant professional skills, but is also who he is as a person that makes him a great leader. He's an exemplar. Congratulations, Joe. Rosie, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your school, and how you became housemaster at Northwestern Regional High School. I'm currently in my fifth year as a housemaster assistant principal at Northwestern Regional High School. We serve as four communities up in the northwest corner of Connecticut. It's a school of about 750 students. Prior to my work at Northwestern, I was here in Cheshire for 13 years as a coach and eighth grade social studies teacher at Dodd Middle School. The other part about me is I'm a father of three young boys, age six, five, and one, and married to a beautiful wife and wonderful <laughs> wife, Shira. Very cool. So thank you, Joe, and congratulations and welcome to all three of you. I'm excited that you're here today and that we can talk about the important work that you do. So let's get started because you guys sound like a really interesting bunch of people to talk to. First question, the stereotypical picture of an assistant principal is that of a disciplinarian. However, each of you brings so much more to your schools. I know that there's no such thing as a typical day for an assistant principal, but that being said, Please share what it is that you like about being an assistant principal or housemaster. What is your role and what are your main responsibilities? Well, from the elementary level, I love my position because I get to see so much growth in a short amount of time as our students develop. There's really that explosion of them turning into, you know, little adults by the third grade. I see my main role as assistant principal as helping young people make good choices and providing them with strategies when navigating difficult social situations. So trying to change the definition of discipline, where we're really looking through the lens of teaching. So I still get to wear my teacher hat. I spend a lot of my day walking the halls, having meetings with kids, and going over situations and teaching them the strategies to make better decisions when there's those natural bumps in the roads. And it does help to be a dad of a second grader and a pre-K student too, to really be in the trenches and not lose sight of our goal at the end of the day. Right, and get to practice at home. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. It doesn't always work as well at home as it does at school for some reason. I can control five hundred, but when it's the two at home it's a little bit different. Um, I'm often reminded I'm not assistant principal at home. <laughs> at the middle school level it's very similar, I think. We use it as a teachable moment. Yep. Yes, in middle school they tend to make some bad decisions at times, but it's not about the punishment, it's about teaching them so that they don't make those mistakes again later in life. And that's restorative practices are what we are heading toward and trying to teach students that their actions affect the whole school community. And it's really, it's a work in progress, but the students are fantastic. So it, it's about building community in the school. I just want to piggyback on what both said, it's about helping people. That's our role. We help people in a variety of ways. It's not just the students. We help our staff as well. We help parents in a variety of different ways, but that's that's the job. You know, I was trying to figure out what's a typical day, and you can have a plan for that. <laughs> <laughs> and it could just go right out the window depending on the circumstances. And 
you know, I was laughing because, like, we could have a situation where, like, Joe, we need you out in the parking lot. There's a goat loose. It really depends. But I think ultimately it's about helping people where there's service, you know, relationships and service. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't know about you guys, but it seems like every day I come in with a list of to-dos, and by the end of the day it's twice as long. Mm-hmm. And and it's always nice if you lose your list, and then you come back several days later and you go, oh, I did all these things. Yeah. <laughs> Quite busy. So all three of you were selected for this award because of your outstanding leadership. What are the traits of a great leader, and which of those traits exemplify your leadership style? I'm going to start. One of the things I think about being an assistant principal or a leader in a school, at least at a middle school, is flexibility. You never know. As you said, you don't know what the day is going to look like, and it changes. You have plans, and sometimes they don't work out that way. So I think it's important to be flexible, remember you're dealing with children, and it's not always a straight and narrow path. I think we have to center our decisions. We always try to do this and what's best for the individual student. And so that doesn't mean that there's equality there, but it's fair. And so I think that's the overriding principle and what we try to use when we're determining what to do for our decisions. I think as far as traits, you're looking at problem solver, you know, active listener, mm-hmm. use humor, don't micromanage people, you know, hire good people and trust them and let them do their jobs and get out of the way. I think those are some good traits. And I agree. And I also think that building and maintaining relationships from the students to the staff, to the families, and in the role as the assistant principal, you're the one that makes a lot of those calls when things don't go as planned. So it's really considering everybody's perspective you know, being that parent at the other end of the phone and making sure you get the message across that we're a team, we're here to help your child and you, and we're not going to give up on them. And being really transparent in how you're going to proceed. So it's true. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Yes. Yeah. It's all about relationships. So what are some of the strategies and techniques that you found that help you be successful when you're building the relationship and the connections between home and school and within among students and teachers? For me, it's being physically present in the classroom a lot. And that doesn't mean with my laptop or with a notepad. I'm very intentional about how often I go into classrooms just so the teachers know I'm there to support them, not to wield evaluation like a sword to get them. But if I'm physically present, I can understand what they're experiencing more and I can understand the children more. So I'm not that lurking specter in the doorway. Uh Uh-oh, Mr. Macrino's here. Somebody's (laughs) in trouble. More of an integrated part of the classroom and just making those phone calls for the good and for the not so good. So there is that reward for the parents as well. All right, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about your child's bad days, but hey, guess what? It's Friday, he had an awesome week, and we're gonna celebrate. So make sure you celebrate at home as well. I think about building relationships with the students, sometimes it goes outside of the classroom or outside of the school day. I find myself going to a football game, a basketball game, or just, to see what the kids are doing. So when I see them on Monday at school, I can say, hey, great job. And and they they see me there and their parents know I'm there. So it's about building relationships beyond the school day and letting them know I care. You know, very early, uh, one of my principals at Dodd talked about, you know, every relationship's a checkbook. And you have to have more deposits and withdrawals to be sound in that area. I don't think there's a quick way to build it, but I think over time, with each instance and each communication and each interaction, you're building that trust. You know, a lot of times I call home in tough situations and my first statement is, I need your help. You know, we use the phrase, we're all on team Joe, if we're talking about a student. I think you can still have hard conversations and still be compassionate and empathetic with all people. So I think that's really important to help developing relationships. 
And I think the one thing I hear coming out of all three of you is how you put students first, how student-centered you are in your schools. How do you provide opportunities for students to share their voices, take responsibility and action, and recognize them for their achievements? So we had the opportunity to work with CAST this year at Joel School. We were part of the first Little Leaders Seminar, which was second and third graders that I shared with my friend, Dr. Carter Welch. And we had a great time. So we're looking for more opportunities just because they're in third grade. They can still do a lot. Even our kindergartners or pre-K kids, we're looking to build actual intentional leadership opportunities at school that affect the community. Our second graders led the charge with Kindness Rocks in the community this year. And we took the kind of little leaders philosophy and we started the Joel School Rockers, which is our (laughs) kind of like our behavior acronym. So it's respect, owning decisions, being caring and kind and being safe. So their job, we get together every couple of weeks, and usually it's the kids that come up with an idea for some kind of community help, or like the cash hurricane relief, and we're working on one right now for the California wildfires. And that was a student created one. I got a nice letter, in mm-hmm. rainbow letters. We need to help these people. So finding any opportunity to show that they do have a voice and that they can help the world. We have in our high school and our middle school a really great program that our superintendent brought forth and we jumped all in on called Kindness in Motion. And we have $100 grants that students can apply for. I think last year we had like 32 of them where students get $100 and it's basically do something kind in your community, whether that means in the school community, in your town, in your state, or globally. And it's amazing what students can do when you say, here, go or you're not afraid to say no when they come to you with an idea. And we've had students who were like, I want to help my neighbor rebuild her porch. And it was like an extreme makeover. And her and her father, with the help from Lion, next thing you know, you got Lion's Club, you got Home Depot, <laughs> and they did an extreme makeover of this woman's house. Uh-huh. We had another young lady who came in in the summertime, and she's like, I just got home from a leadership conference in D.C. I want to raise money to provide 60,000 meals for homeless. And she did uh, it was just amazing, never saying no, or not going in when someone has an idea to like, try to be like, why you can't do something, you just, <laughs> just let them go, and you never know what's going to yeah. happen. At John Reed, we don't do anything on that big a scale, mm-hmm. <laughs> but middle schoolers do like to share their voice, and they want to be heard. For example, the past week, I've had my lunch groups, and I will choose six to eight kids that will fit into my office to have lunch with me. And we just I say, how are things going? What can we do to improve things? And, you know, they had ideas, and they told me what works for them in a teacher. And he said, not using teachers' names, but what styles work for you, what things don't work for you. And that feedback is helpful to share with the teachers at some point. I'm also very involved with a school climate committee that my guidance counselor and I started a few years ago. And within that group, it's 7th and 8th graders, and they choose every month to do something. Say Something Week was a while ago. We're doing Start With Hello. We're doing a little later than the traditional from the Sandy Hook Promise, but it worked for our schedule. We're doing a Start With Hello Week, and it's about reducing isolation. So the kids are busy working on that, and they're part of the planning the activities for the week. So let's move into this whole idea of school climate and culture and what kinds of other strategies, like I've heard some really great ones of ways that you're starting to get at the student voice, but what are some of the other strategies that you guys are using to build and foster positive school climate throughout your whole school? I definitely got to give a shout out to Joanne Freiberg. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I, we, we all suck yeah, at that, yes. Yeah, yes. Yay, Joanne, I hope you're listening. I, I highly recommend for every 
School of Education to have her and meet with aspiring educators, people who are school admin leaders who haven't been a part of her program to get in there. I think she does such a great job. We do a lot of her modules with our teachers about, you know, like the book, you can't teach with a rat in right. your brain. Like we've done that with all of our teachers. Something that they volunteered for where, you know, think about your own experience in life, like the baggage you bring to school and kind of take that into account. So we kind of do things like that through PD. It's something that you got to cultivate constantly. I'm really proud of my district in that they truly embrace instructing the whole child. I know that can be a buzz phrase, but public education is much more these days, especially than just delivering academic content. At the pre-K through three, it's getting their feet in the pool for the first time, and you have to give them those lessons, those very intentional opportunities for social-emotional learning. And only then can we start to chip away at the academics. We're seeing students with higher needs coming to us, and therefore it's our responsibility to strike while the iron's hot and really deliver that before we can expect them to be able to pay attention for a math lesson. They're with us for six hours, and for a lot of them, it's the best six hours they're going to have all day, and we can't forget that. You know, our admin team and some of our teachers, the middle school and now at the high school I'm going in March, we're doing the ruler training through Yale. And it's been really valuable. We've been on a journey as a staff learning about those types of things, like the idea of a meta moment, like this Mm -hmm. really important moment that when you're not feeling well and and there's emotions are running high, like how are you going to deal with it is going to dictate either a positive outcome or negative outcome. And so this year we're kind of on that journey as adults. And then next year with intention, we're going to start to do that. We're a 7 through 12 school district. So starting in seventh grade and moving forward. So I, I highly recommend that too as well. Yeah. At John Reed, we are working on getting our whole staff trained with restorative practices. So we're, I would say, about 60% are trained at this point. The rest are all signed up for training. And as a, another piece to that, we were reading as a full staff better than carrots or sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're using that at full staff meetings. We've been discussing chapter by chapter throughout the year and talking about how that fits into our school philosophy, their philosophy in the classroom. So that's another way we're trying to train our staff. With the students, I talked a little before about our school climate committee. That's going to morph next year. We are working with Ian Hockley for Dylan's Wings of Change to have a wingman program in our school. The students are going to start getting trained this spring so that they're ready to go for next year. Excellent. So we talked a little bit about climate. You've talked, Joe, a little bit about going into the classroom. So when you're observing, supervising, and evaluating teachers, it's critical to ensure rigorous, high-quality, effective instruction in every classroom for students every day. How do you find the time to get into the classroom? What are your look-fors? What are the non-negotiables? And how do you empower teachers? I have to keep meetings short just to get into the classrooms. And I just try to stay out of my office as much as possible. There's the inevitable things that you have to do daily, but you can learn so much in a short amount of time. I don't need more than 10 to 20 minutes to know that there's learning going on in the classroom. You just walk in and you know what's going on. And it's definitely not just what the teacher is doing. You get so much just from asking a couple of quick questions to students. You know, So what are you working on? How do you feel about what you're working on? How do you know that you're meeting your goal right now? And I've gotten a lot in walkthroughs talking to the students, in addition to seeing what's going on in terms of materials and the the rigor that the teacher's providing. Um, I get very nervous when I hear 
or see quiet rooms with not a lot of movement. That's when my spidey sense starts to tingle. Especially with the little people. Especially with the little people. They need to move. So are the students doing the work of the discipline? So at a high school level, if they're in a science class, are they doing what you would be doing in a career cluster that's tied into science? You know, who's doing the most work in the class? What does student engagement look like? Try to get a sense of the objective from the instruction and the tasks themselves versus is it on the board? Mm -hmm. Those types of things. So like non-negotiables are what's the teacher-student relationship look like? Is it a positive? Is it safe for intellectual risk? Are they having fun? I mean, those are some things that we definitely look for when we're in there. And I think the best way to do it for me, I feel like, is try to do them in the morning. Yeah. You know, if you can get them done in the morning, try not to do first period, try to do second period, and before the day gets a holy. I try to do it before lunch, because <laughs> after you lunch, you never, never know. know. Lunch, yeah. Yeah. So good point, yeah. I think I'm looking for similar things at the middle school. We want to see the students engaged as well. And yes, I agree. If the classroom is quiet, at some point it's like, quiet is good, but I want the students engaged and having discussions because that's so important at the middle school. And it's not just about what the teacher's doing. It's, are the students interacting? Are they working with the material? Are they understanding it? And in meeting with my lunch group today, that came through loud and clear from the eighth graders. You know, they were talking about how they learn best when they're doing, not when someone else does something for them and they just see it, they need to be doing it. And I think it's an important part of every lesson. Rosie, you asked about how do you empower teachers? I think I asked the question to every person at the end of the year evaluation, if there's one thing that you could do but you haven't been able to do it, how can we make that happen? And we've asked that to our department heads as well. We come from an evaluation model of it's just to increase teaching and learning and risk taking. And if things go terribly wrong, well then you know that there's one less thing that you want to do in the future. It's definitely not a punitive thing or you know, and I gotcha, and, and I think we've kind of created that culture where teachers feel comfortable. We're really looking forward to having teachers, and we haven't had this yet, go with intention to do walkthroughs in other people's classes. Yeah. That's yeah. something that we've been a little bit behind on, something we'd like to do in the future. Cool. So it sounds like you're working on building trust, communication, collaboration among your teachers, and that's very important. But it's also important as an assistant principal to be able to do that with your principal. So what are some of the strategies and structures that you and your principal use to ensure quality working relationships? I'm very lucky to have a great relationship with my principal, and we're meeting constantly. It can't be good cop, bad cop, or I'm going to ask mom because she'll say yes and dad won't, that kind of thing. It's just we present and we are a unified front with very similar philosophies and goals. So it's working in concert. It's presenting together. If there is an issue, we will meet as a team to address what's going on just so the staff knows that we're a team, that we have similar goals, and that everybody's going to hear the same message. So it's time. It's a lot of time. It's before school. It's during school. It's after school. Emails on the weekends. You have to do that if you want to be an effective team. Yeah, my dude's a stud. Ken Chichester is phenomenal. My, the other house masters. So house masters are basically, I have the A through K kids for four years. The other house master has the end of the alphabet. You get to know the students very intimately, and we do. The three of us, and also our middle school principals always around because our school's connected, our superintendent. I mean, we're just like this tight-knit team that gets along really well together. We work extremely close together. We constantly talk. I think a fun thing that we do as an administrative team is problems of practice. 
I mean, beyond the ones that we deal with every single day. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, we look at problems of practice to, to kind of calibrate with each other. But, I mean, he is just, he's all world. So we make it a point to try to meet once at like 8.30 in the morning. And then he's never in his office. He always comes down to us at the end of the day. And we circle around the table and kind of talk about everything that's going on. And during the day, depending on the situation, we had a, a very serious issue today. I was with him for three or four hours. Um, so we work tight-knit. My principal and I, very similar to what I'm hearing from everyone else, very close relationship. We try to find time every day, and sometimes the days get away from us, and it's after school, and we're trying to figure things out. Interesting, though, different from what you said about planning together. We've been together for 12 years, so we kind of play to each other's strengths. Mm -hmm. So, for example, this year when we're talking about staff meetings, I'm running the Better Than Carrots and Sticks ones, and she's running the ones that's on Mastery Learning. And, yes, we are talking to each other throughout, but we kind of, we've been playing to our strengths and we each handle different things. Which makes it fun. So getting on with the greatest challenge, I've heard about some of the wonderful things that you're doing, but as an assistant principal, what is your greatest challenge? I think difficult conversations is probably the biggest challenge. And that ranges from difficult conversation with parents about something that's happened with their child during the day, or with a teacher who is not working up to expectations. And that's never easy. It's the whole process is not easy. For me, it's not moving too fast and making sure that I lay the groundwork to get buy-in, especially when it comes to my two passions, social-emotional learning and purposeful play. And that can be difficult to swallow. Teachers are held to certain standards and have been for a long time, so that can be a shift in culture. And I think the other one for me as assistant principal is speaking to restorative practices, convincing many people that the pound of flesh approach does not work. Absolutely. And that's a huge change. Joe's holding up yes. Lost and Found by Ross Green. We are reading that. Oh, wow. I, that's I on my list of that. books to oh, buy. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we're working collectively with a couple of educators who kind of struggle with that mindset that kids will do well if they can. You know, they're just lacking the skills to be able to navigate is what you said. So there's like six of us that are reading this book. We're going to do kind of a study of it. And I'm looking forward to it. But within the first five pages, you hear that statement that I don't want to say old school because it's really wrong school, but that mentality <laughs> of like, you know, they're going to change because it's going to be punitive. You know, so that was interesting that you said that. So I'm going to go back about six years ago. We read one of his other books, and it was an optional book group. And I just said to everyone, if anyone wants to read this with me, we'll set up a few times. We got the books together, and it was a very successful group. So I sent this out just about a month ago to the teachers and say, anyone interested in reading Lost and Found with me? And our first book group meeting is on Monday morning, and we're going to be reading it a few chapters. Was the other one box A, the box B, box C? The other one was The Explosive Child. Yes. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a fantastic book, so this one is a follow-up in a way. I struggle with, no matter how passionate and how right I think about an issue, there is someone at the complete end of the spectrum that feels as passionately about something in the complete opposite way. And in some cases, you just can't tell people to do something because it's not necessarily creating a sense of urgency through questioning techniques and getting people to understand that the need to change, they'll make that change. And that's always hard. And I struggle with that. You know, I think, and then beyond that, just having enough time to get everything that you want to get done within your day. And yeah. there's always tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
There's never enough time. I just have to piggyback off of what you said. Madeline Hunter, and that'll date me way back when, used to say, but it, it's so true. She used to say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Same thing with the mm-hmm. teacher. You can't make a teacher do something, but you can salt their oats. And it's always looking to figure out what is it that you can do to help bring that teacher along. But yeah. that was a hard lesson for me because I really yeah. wanted to just get in and push them in. Yeah, it's like, regardless if it's a teacher or students, I mean, we're all human, we all come from the same place. How do you get someone to know that what you're asking them and the change is ultimately going to be better for them and their situation? And so that's really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. salt yeah. Yeah, their oats. And, and sometimes you don't know what kind of salt to give them. Right. Right. It, it is difficult. So people that are listening couldn't see what was going on here when you held up your lost and found book. But I think the other three of us wrote down lost and found. Yeah. And so it leads me to another question that I had for the three of you, because I know that you are all described as lifelong learners. You were all described as self-directed learners. So what besides Lost and Found, and a couple of the other books that we should probably mention again, um, You Can't Teach Through a Rat, Carrots and Sticks book. What kinds of things are you reading that are helping you to improve your own profession, your knowledge and skills? I'm reading the same books over and over again, it seems. Like I'm going back to Better Than Carrots or Sticks. Mm -hmm. So I have all my little sticky notes and just as some refreshers to get you through some of the doldrums, especially of February. I don't know. It's just been full moon season lately. So I just need these kind of reminders. And then one of the most powerful ones I've read lately is First School by Sharon Ritchie and Laura Gutman. And that deals specifically with the pre-K through three continuum, especially for children in need. It's about improving experiences for all students, not just looking at the scores, but how you actually build a community of learners. Wait, what? What? So that's a book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? So wait, what? Point of clarification. So there's okay. a book by James Ryan, and it's about the important questions that you can use in your daily life that, that help in conversation. So when someone says, wait, what? Like you hear kids say, wait, wait, what? They need clarification. Can't we all agree upon? You know, so like you're at a stalemate. Can't we all agree? that this should happen. It's a way to break a stalemate. So he's saying there's five essential questions that you need in life or that you can use in life that can help you better. And it it kind of explains it through anecdotal stories. And then this summer we looked at age of adolescence, which is really kind of like the most flexible your mind is in growth besides birth to three is the adolescence ages and, and how to use that time to help people move in a positive way. So those are three books that we read this year as a group that I would highly recommend. I'll be honest that during the school year, I never get to read enough. I find myself trying to keep up with the magazines that come in. Mm-hmm. We have Education Week, I have something from ASCD, so I'm trying to keep up with all of those. The summers when I do more of my reading, better than Carrots and Sticks, and I've been reading a few of the books that we've already talked about. Probably one of my favorites in recent years was Making Thinking Visible. That worked really well. It was just about how to get the kids engaged in those conversations and just different protocols and ways to start that in the classroom. What we tend to do at staff meetings then with information like that, we take those protocols and our staff meetings are usually working staff meetings. It's like PD time, so we practice those. Then we say, that's the protocol that you can find in this book, so we're trying to help the staff to, to find ways to engage their students in those same kind of conversations. 
I have to throw one more out there too. It doesn't directly align to education, but I have to evangelize for him. Cash by Johnny Cash is one of my number one books to go to about learning from your mistakes and finding the good in everybody, even at their worst. You can't go wrong with Johnny Cash. Songs recently is Johnny Cash singing "Hurt." Oh yeah, man, Johnny. Don't get me started on Johnny Cash. I mean, he's he's one of the reasons I think I am so passionate about helping kids out because there's a lot of different roads you can take, and he's yeah. taken them all, and he's learned from each one. So listen to more Johnny Cash. Which leads me to my next question. So now that you become an administrator, you know how important it is to have a balanced life, so you're personal and you're professional. So you listen to Johnny Cash, but what else do you guys do to rejuvenate yourselves? That was the only question that I had no notes <laughs> for me. Well, it gets better when your kids are older. So yeah. you both said yeah. you have yeah. little ones at yeah. home. My kids are all adults, so it's a very different world for me. And one thing that's great, though, I go to the gym every morning. That's my time. And I just it's a half hour a day that it's just for me. I can do that now that I don't yeah. have little ones yeah. at home. It's great. And in the summer, it's sitting and reading a book. Sitting at the beach and reading a book is even better. <laughs> But that's my time, and I enjoy that. It's rejuvenating. I think it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that if you're in a good place, I won't say it's easy to balance, but they understand there needs mm-hmm. to be a balance. My superintendent said, a happy wife, happy life, and she lives by that. And my wife's very supportive, and she'll let me know if there's too much going on and pull back. And mm-hmm. we've actually made it a point to like pull away as much as we can during the weekend. You know, we're not trying to send out emails to our staff. Yeah. We're not asking them to read them. We're not communicating as much about that, you know, a little bit. But, uh, you know, really, I think if you love what you're doing, it's kind of easier to balance mm-hmm. than if you don't love what you're doing. I go back to Joe's statement before about that savings account kind of mentality. So I have an amazing supportive wife, very patient with me, and I have a great family. But sometimes you just have to press the pause button. And if things aren't going well because I'm not around a lot, it's going to affect what I do, my daily routine. So I have to leave on time. I have to be home for dinner. I can't be there every single dinner, but to every dinner that I can, sometimes you just got to close the computer, put the phone away, and be there. But then back to Johnny Cash, sometimes you just have to belt it out. So. <laughs> I've been known to dabble in bands and stuff on the weekends, and that's my steam valve. And we all need those. Mine is in the shower with a cup of coffee. It was when my kids were, no, really, truly, when my kids were little, it was the only place I could go where my kids would leave me alone. So <laughs> Your safe space. So first thing in the morning, I got my cup of coffee in the shower, and I do my best thinking. And I don't know if it's the hot water or whatever, but I've had a lot of great ideas there. But I think everybody has to have something that you do that can help you turn it around. So other tips and tricks that you think a teacher who's aspiring to be an administrator might want to glean from you guys? Network. I think every opportunity that you meet somebody is a potential opportunity for something down the road. I applied probably to like 18 jobs and I didn't get a call back except for two and the two there was somebody there that I knew either through a class or a personal friend that gave this guy an opportunity and that's all I needed was an opportunity and I'll get my foot in the door and I'll take it from here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you just got to have that understanding that when you go places, you're selling yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And not get frustrated if somebody doesn't want you. That's their loss. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're looking for something else and that's okay. I think reflect on your failures 
never lose sight of why you want to become an administrator. Like I said, it can get pretty weighty sometimes. Sometimes there's those weeks where it's just a lot of paper and a lot of long meetings, but don't forget why you're doing it. It's for those kids. So get out into the hallways as much as possible. And nobody's threatening me behind the scenes, but join CAS, get involved with CAS as much as possible. That has opened up so many doors for me. And I've met some incredible, incredible educators and philosophers and people who really embrace progressive approaches to learning that have the history behind them that really shows that we're not crazy for thinking what we're thinking, that we do know what's right for kids and we have to be those soldiers. So find those professional communities that you're really comfortable with, with like-minded people. Well, I was going to say, you know, you had mentioned, in thinking the question before, you know, it's becoming more and more difficult for administrators to leave their schools. I could argue that that's how teachers feel too. And, mm-hmm. and really, that's all the mm-hmm. more reason. you got to make time to get out. Yeah. One, because there's other people who have experiences and information that are going to make you better. And it's also going to give you better sight on, wow, I'm in a really good place. And thank my lucky stars that, the school that I go to every day is the school that I go to. I think sometimes we forget that. So I think it's important for people to get out and continue with their learning. I think for someone who's interested in going into administration of any kind, that they need that shadowing experience. They need to understand what it's like because it's so different. Yes, you're still working with the kids, but you're working with the teachers. You're working with other staff members. You have to communicate with the parents often. And I think sometimes it's just a big picture. It's not like I can say, this is my job description, because I feel like there is no job description. There's so many different hats. And I think they just need to understand that. And I don't think that anyone teaching really sees everything that goes on or or what goes into it. (laughs) (laughs) They have no idea. I started out as a third and fourth grade teacher in Waterford, which is a great district. And I worked with several exceptional administrators that when I was a teacher, they took me under their wing and gave me the perspective of the inner workings and gave me that responsibility. So I think that goes out to administrators too that see staff with the potential for administration or they have that spark. Give them those opportunities. You know, don't be so quick to say no. I think yes, but is always great to kind of sand down some of the edges, but look for the next generation of leaders and support them. Exactly. So you all went through the O92 program. Is there anything that you didn't learn in the O92 program that you wish that you would have learned? There are things sometimes that they can't teach you, you know, unless you're knee deep in it. I think the, I I changed the question a little bit, but the best experience that I had was with the shadowing and being involved in either my own school with administrative tasks or being in another school, kind of seeing the day-to-day operations. That was really important. I think my law class was great, looking at case studies and, you know, what would you do? Well, here's the implications. You know, anytime you get a chance to hear Tom Mooney speak, take advantage of that. So it wasn't necessarily my 92 program, but I joined the UConn Pre-K through 3 Leadership Cohort, and that was incredible. And that was one of my greatest experiences as a newer administrator to really think about what's coming down the pike in terms of preschool and the implications for that for instruction. For so long, we're always looking up to see, well, what's expected, what's expected, and trying to push them to that. But we need to also take time to look back and what makes that pre-K such a rich experience and how we can build that bridge between pre-K and K and one for our, our younger learners. It's been a while since I did my O92, and I think things have probably changed a bit since then. 
But I think one of the best classes that I remember was the special education yeah. and special education laws. And while it was a very involved class, I could have used three more because it is such a huge part of just the everyday workings of our school. And it's hard to keep up. It's, it's constantly changing. changing, yes. So we've talked a lot today, and I've heard the passion and the enthusiasm for your schools come out, but what is it that you love about your school? What is it that you are the most proud of? Well, I think it's the synergy of the students and my coworkers and the parents just kind of working together in, in this really cool learning environment that's just, I'm very proud to go every day. I think, you know, you have the accountability results that came out recently. And we're very proud of our results. And two of the things that I'm most proud of is that, you know, our absentee rate is 3.3%. Kids love to come to our school, right? They're happy to be there. <clears throat> and then 2017, we had 100% graduation rate. Wow. Um, every kid graduate, we meet them where they are. And we're not dummying down or pulling everybody down because our accountability results holistically were so high. And I think it's second highest in the state for high schools. So this premise that, well, if you meet everybody where you are, then you're not going to push everybody forward. That's not true. And you mm-hmm. can have a great environment that kids want to come and learn, and they're going to learn in a high-achieving way. So those are the, the three things that I'm really proud of. I'm going to say it's our school climate as well, and that extends beyond to, you know, we've talked about the formal programs, but just the relationships within the school. Our teachers are very close. They work on teams, of course, at a middle school, and that helps. But they started a No Grown Up Left Behind group, and they celebrate (laughs) birthdays for people, and they, you know, once in a while they'll organize things like a potluck lunch. So it's a feeling of community within the school, with the staff, with the students. Last week, we sponsored a family game night, and we had over 50 people come to play board games with their kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just so it's those kind of things that make me feel good, that makes me remember what's important, and you get to know the families. It's just a good place to be. For me, it is very familial, and that no matter how hard things might get, everybody still comes to the table on Sunday for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, I can depend on them to use best judgment and compassion. They lead with compassion. I don't live in district, but I'd be more than happy to have either of my children in any classroom in my school. And I say that honestly. So there's high rigor, great academic opportunities, but also the focus on social emotional learning and truly preparing the kids for our society. Excellent. And it sounds like you guys have some great schools, great relationships. Last question for today is, where do you see yourself five years from now? What do you hope to be doing? And what do you hope to accomplish? Well, I just want to continue to help students, wherever that may be, in whatever capacity that is. I hope to be successful, and that for me means happy and fulfilled, which is what I I feel like right now. That was like a loaded question, and (laughs) I felt that those two things kind of summarize what ultimately I want to be able to do. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like my kids at school. What did I have for lunch? Did I eat lunch yet? I don't even know how to follow that one up. I still would like to be in education. I like working with students, whether it's as an assistant principal or a principal. I enjoy what I'm doing, and I don't see myself retiring anytime soon. I like working with kids. Yeah, I'm in this for the long haul. (laughs) We have a lot of work to do. It's exciting work. It's work that can, I truly believe, change the world. And as long as there's kids coming to school, I'm going to be there for them. 
Wow. And I can tell that all three of you really love what you're doing. I truly wish all three of you the best in your goals and your future aspirations. It's been really fun talking with you today. During these conversations, I've been inspired and impressed by your candor, your thoughtfulness, and the amazing things that you're doing to make a difference in your school communities. You've given administrators some ideas about what you're doing and some things that they may want to try. Even more important for any teachers or aspiring administrators, you've painted a picture for them about what it's like to be an assistant principal. That is the day-to-day realities of being in the trenches, as well as the personal rewards of being able to make a difference in the lives of students and teachers every day. It's easy to see your joy and passion for the work that you do and why each of you was nominated by your schools and districts and then recognized by CAS as the 2018 Assistant Principal of the Year. All three of you are truly amazing. Thank you for taking time to talk with us today during this CAS conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, it was an honor. To learn more about today's guest, be sure to check the CAS website to read the 2018 CAS Assistant Principal of the Year announcement. Also, be sure to visit their school websites to learn more about their schools and their programs. Thank you for joining us for this episode of CAS Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the Connecticut Association of Schools, serving schools and their leaders since 1935.